Let me open in prayer for us, okay? Father, thank you that you are here in, in our midst by your spirit. You've been tabernacled on the praises of your people, Psalm 22 says. You are now, Jesus says, I'm going to be right there with you where two or more are gathered. So you're here with us, Father. You're not just inside of us. Thank you for that. But you're here with us. Your word says also that your spirit is our comforter, it's our counselor, but he's also our teacher. So would you somehow use these words to speak directly to our hearts tonight so the Father, what the Spirit has to say to the church, give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to continue on in our series, The Abundant Life, and we're going through pretty much the first half of the gospel according to John. Now, John's gospel, as we learned, is very different than what's called the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They tell short little stories and they're more factual. This is what Jesus did. And of course, it's what Jesus said. But John focuses much more on what Jesus said and what Jesus taught. And tonight is not going to be any different. It is a situation that we're going to discover that he has a conversation he has with Nicodemus. It's a little bit different than the way the chosen um, chose to portray it. But the, the truth is that the focus is still the same. John 3.16 is right there. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son or his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Perhaps the most well-known scripture verse, and that's the one we're going to discover today. Though I'm not going to focus on that, you're going to find it's right there. It truly is all about what we're going to talk about tonight. I can remember... Like 30, a long time ago, my oldest daughter was born. I can remember leading up to that time, and if you ever had a child, nine months is like forever to wait to finally give birth to this baby you've been carrying. Ladies, you know that. And finally now, Kate is born, and it was this sense of so many emotions come over me, like responsibility. It, it was super, you know, impactful marrying my wife and realizing I'm now responsible for this young lady. And now, two years later, I'm responsible for this little tiny baby, this life. And that's probably the best way to describe it. There's, this is a life form. And it's like, wow, and it's not just some animal. This is a human being made in the image of God. And this baby has my wife's and my DNA. This baby is now going to be raised, and we're responsible to raise this child to follow after Jesus. And I remember every night when I would tuck my kids in, and I would pray over them, Father, may they come to know you. May you fill them with your Holy Spirit at an early age. And I just felt that responsibility, and there was just such joy that my wife and I shared. And I think with is Meredith here? She's not here to fact check this. Nuts. But I believe it took only three pushes and Kate was out. Or maybe that was Juliana. It was, maybe it was five for Kate and three for Juliana. I can't remember exactly. Now with Sarah Joy, number four, we arrived at the hospital 
I was like so excited. Meredith was very quiet. I could not understand. And it's because she had the urge to push when we were at home. But she didn't tell me that because she didn't want me to speed, and I probably wouldn't. We got there. She lays on the gurney, and within two minutes, Sarah Joy is born. There's no, like, no pushing. It's just like, boom, she's doing everything she can not to give birth, and Sarah Joy is born. Jimmy, however, was the slow poke. It took him an, a whole hour to be born. But there's just something about giving birth to a baby that is just so amazing and exhilarating. And Meredith, after she gave birth, and it, it was usually when I went down to get her something to eat, she would start dancing around in, in the room. It's like, you, you danced in the room? You're supposed to be laying down, you know, not dancing. And if she didn't dance in the room, she danced in the shower. But it was just like an exciting time for her, and she's already talking usually about giving birth to her next baby. Though that didn't always happen. Giving birth is what we're going to be talking about tonight. John chapter 3, giving birth. And Nicodemus, who is of the Jewish ruling council, which basically, literally, it says a ruler of the Jews. Now, John in particular uses this phrase, the Jews, many, many times, though not always, to refer to the antagonists, leaders who were antagonists of Jesus and his ministry. And you, you see that throughout the Gospel of John. Actually, just last week, we came across that phrase twice, once in verse 18, another in verse 20. These Jews, they're skeptical. They attacked Jesus. They were leaders, and they were offended by Jesus. And so Nicodemus, he's from that group. We're going to discover a few things about Nicodemus, but one thing we're going to find out is that Nicodemus was clueless about what Jesus was talking about. One of the main leaders, spiritual leaders, and he just didn't understand this concept of being birthed again or being birthed from above. That Greek word again, can, it can either mean from above or again, born again. You've heard that phrase many times. Many times in baseball, my Philadelphia Phillies this last year were born again. Whatever. Almost won the World Series, fast forward to two, for us today. All right, so let's do that. I'm actually going to start in chapter 2, just the last few verses, because we're going to see a little connection between the last few verses of chapter 2 as we move into chapter 3. Are you there with me? Chapter 2, verse 23. Chapter 2, verse 23. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. Very well-known phrase in the Gospel of John, believed in his name or believed in him, believed in, not just believed, believed in. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, that is to those who believed in his name, Jews. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man for he knew what was in a man now there was a man of the pharisees named nicodemus a member of the jewish ruling council 
he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, in other words, Jesus is answering what Nicodemus just said. There's no question. He's not answering a question. He's answering a statement in reply or in response or answering. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. No one, emphasizing no one, can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again or born from above. Interesting phrase there. Can you read it? How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered. So again, he's responding. This time, though, it is a statement, but you can hear the question. The question was actually in the beginning. Jesus now answers, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the spirit. See, flesh gives birth to, excuse me, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind. Now, wind in the Greek is pneuma. It's also spirit or breath, just so you know. But it is properly translated wind here, but you're going to see then how it refers to the spirit as he lays this illustration out for you. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell. That Greek word actually also means see, but you cannot see where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. I do not understand, Jesus replied. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. 
So just to be clear, as we begin this, Jesus is in Jerusalem. I realize that when you watch The Chosen, Jesus was actually in Capernaum when he met with Nicodemus. I'm not sure why they did that. It's pretty clear he's in Jerusalem. Actually, if I read one more verse, verse 22, it says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside. And in chapter 4, it talks about when the Lord learned of this, and I won't read verse, excuse me, this is 3. It says he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. That's where he meets the Samaritan woman at the well. Love that scene in The Chosen. But for some reason, they have Jesus in Capernaum. No, he's in Jerusalem. He had just done many miracles. Remember the, when, when at this Passover feast, and by the way, what is sacrificed at Passover? The, they call it the Paschal Lamb. Paschal in Greek means suffering, but it's the Paschal Lamb. That is the Passover Lamb. How amazing. Remember, John speaks of Jesus being the Lamb of God and then the Son of God. And here in verse chapter 2, he is coming to the Passover where he himself will become that Passover Lamb. And now in this chapter, the focus will be the Son of God that gives life. But here he is at the Passover. And they, he, he's, remember, he cleanses the temple both in the beginning and at the end of his ministry. Kind of like bookends. Because it has this cleansing of the temple that has everything to do with the Jews' lack of relationship with God. It is at the temple where that is like the heart and soul of what God calls an intimate relationship with him in which we're worshiping him, in which we're surrendering our whole heart to him in this worship, but also in the festivals. But they, here they are. There's compromise. I won't get, I won't preach last week's sermon. Jesus is challenged and they say, who gives you authority? By what authority are you doing this? Can you show us a sign? And Jesus does not give them a sign. He just talks about his resurrection and how that resurrection will be clear evidence declaring that Jesus is the son of God. And as the son, he has authority in the father's house. Interesting, though, as this chapter wraps up, what does Jesus do? He teaches, but what does he do? He does miracles. He does the very signs that the Jews were asking for, but he doesn't display the signs to prove anything except simply to manifest the fact that the, the, the glory that he is the Son of God. And I take that from chapter 2, verse 11, you know, Jesus revealed his glory in turning the water into wine. He's doing that here. He's doing miracles. And what is the response of the people? Not necessarily the Jews, the Jews who are antagonistic to Jesus and his ministry, but what are the, what are the people doing? How are they responding? They're believing in him. What are they believing, church? John has not preached the gospel or have at least had Jesus preaching the gospel but as he is teaching as he is healing they're discovering something that he truly is a man of God who has come from God and he just might be 
behind the Messiah. To Nicodemus, it's very possible that he witnessed some of these miracles. And man, he is just He's confused because he certainly, if this is the Messiah, this certainly is not what he expected from the Messiah. And so he comes to Jesus. Who is Nicodemus? Well, we already know that he's on the Sanhedrin. Generally, there were about 70 Jewish elders in the Sanhedrin. So he's considered a ruler amongst the Jews. We read about him three times. In this gospel. And only John mentions this Nicodemus. The first time of course is here. We're going to look at that. The second time is in chapter 7. Verse 50. In which in as Jesus is being discussed among the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus actually defends him. And then in chapter 19 verse 39. After Jesus dies. It is Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Who receive his body. Wrap it up, put 75 pounds of spices, ointments, and so on, and preserve his body for burial. This is Nicodemus. This encounter forever changes his life. At some point, he finally got, though we don't see it or read about it here in this chapter, but he finally got what Jesus was getting at. Being of the Jewish ruling council, he comes to Jesus at night. Now, I can figure only two reasons why he would do that. Number one, Jesus was a very busy guy. And whenever he was, whenever during the day, whenever he was out and about, he always had his disciples around him, plus a crowd wanting to listen to him teach, or as I just mentioned, to see him do the miracles. So he comes to him at night because this is a one-on-one encounter. Secondly, I can't help but wonder if he comes to Jesus at night because he is afraid of his fellow Jews on the ruling council. He doesn't want them to know that he's curious because later by chapter 9, those who are starting to follow Jesus, they're excommunicated from the synagogue. So Nicodemus, as well as Joseph of Arimathea, who's a follower of Jesus, They have to do so privately. And John talks about this in chapter 12, that many of the leaders were starting to follow Jesus, but they did it privately. And I'm not going to cast stones whether this is right or wrong for Nicodemus, but he knew that he had to do this. He felt that he had to do this privately. So he comes to Jesus at night because there is something that is so burdening his heart. But what does he say? He just simply says, Jesus, obviously you're a teacher. He says, you have come from God because no one can do the miracles that you're doing if God weren't with him. Now, Nicodemus says something here very interesting. He says he believes that Jesus has come from God. What he really means, because he really doesn't understand what he's saying. He really means that Jesus has been sent by God. And consequently, being sent by God, God is with him. See, John himself tells us over in chapter 1, verse 5, excuse me, not verse 5, verse 6, 
there was a man, <clears throat> excuse me, there came a man, referring to John the Baptist, who was sent from God. What's the big, why am I making this big deal? Because Jesus himself picks up on that phrase, we believe you've come from God. And Jesus is probably thinking, do you really now? Because if we read in verse 13, he says, Jesus says to Nicodemus, no one has ever gone into heaven. That's a, that's a theological issue, by the way. When Jesus is saying this, he is declaring no one's ever gone to heaven. Did you, did you pick that up? Now, I'm not saying they haven't gone to paradise, but it, between the cross and resurrection, it appears from Scripture, Jesus took those who were in paradise and brought them to heaven. That's a side point, but he's, he's stating that no one has gone into heaven, right into the very throne room of God himself, except the one who has come from heaven. See, this is saying that Jesus, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, see Nicodemus, I was in heaven, and now I have come to earth. Do you get that? No one has ever lived before they were born, except Jesus. But now we begin to realize Jesus, he's not just sent from God, he is actually come from God. And John, the, John the, the, the evangelist makes this clear as well in verse 14 where he says, referring to, he, he says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. As the Son, he is from eternity to eternity with God, was God, and now he is coming from God, from the Father. The Father now, he not just, he does come from God, but it also says he is sent. So Jesus isn't just sent, but he has come from God, and he's come from God with a mission. And Nicodemus, he's probably not catching half of this, and Jesus when he hears Nicodemus speaking, it says he responds to him. Do you see that in verse 3? I mentioned it earlier. In reply or in answer, Jesus says, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again to see the kingdom of God. And, and I can remember first time reading this when I was a teen. I'd just given my heart to Christ. I'm reading through the Gospel of John because my brother Dan, who led me to Christ, said, Mike, that's where you got to start in John and just read through John. Read through it again and again. Just read John. So I read through it, and I remember looking at this, and I'm thinking, wow, Jesus, you're like coming from left field. Born again. How is that in any way an answer to what Nicodemus is talking about? Because on Nicodemus' mind is that Jesus may very well be this Messiah. Jesus' personal designation, far more than any other, was Son of Man. Now, if you were to go to Daniel chapter 7, verses 14 and 15, it says that one like a Son of Man was led before the Ancient of Days... And the Ancient of Days gave him a dominion or a rulership, uh, glory, and a kingdom. A kingdom. Jesus was given a king. This Son of Man was given a kingdom. So in Nicodemus' mind, he's wondering, is Jesus that guy? 
And so in his mind is a kingdom. And so Jesus immediately speaks about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And this Messiah is going to be the king. He received a rulership, glory, and a kingdom. Is this Jesus? And now Jesus says, hey, for you, Nicodemus, to enter that kingdom, you've got to be born again. And this throws Nicodemus. I've got to be born again? What? And his confusion is reflected. Surely I don't have to enter my mother's womb because the picture here, he, remember, he's an elder, which means generally elders are older. And here he is, I imagine, with gray hair, thinking, I've got to go back into my It may very well be that Nicodemus' mom was dead. How is this going to happen, Jesus? I've got to be born again. What are you saying? And he doesn't get this. The kingdom of God, and I've got to be reborn somehow. What is this? And Jesus has to explain to him. You see, Nicodemus' mindset when it came to the kingdom of God was very Jewish. I'm not, that's, that's perfectly fine. I get that. But in that Jewish mindset, the kingdom of God was about observing the law. It was about ceremonies, festivals. It was about doing visible things, even like being cleansed in baptism. Visible things, but most certainly not something that you can't see, like being born of the Spirit. So there's confusion. So something's got to happen inside of him, born of the Spirit. I mean, the kingdom... Jews, see, you're born naturally as a Jew, and now you get the kingdom, right? But Jesus is throwing all of that out the window. No, that's absolutely inaccurate. And so Nicodemus is confused. Salvation for him was, was physical. How do we enter God's kingdom? Can I just tell you, it is not on your parents' coattails. See, that's what I thought. I grew up in a Christian home. I figured, of course I'm going to heaven, right? I mean, I go to church. I put my dime in the offering plate, people. Come on. Doesn't that make me a Christian? I read the Bible every now and then. Okay, my mom read the Bible to me, whether I wanted her to or not. I, I, I truly tried to obey the Ten Commandments, even though I really got hung up on the obey your parents part. But I did what I could. I even grew up reciting the Lord's Prayer, and I had it memorized, and the Apostles' Creed. Man, I mean, that's good stuff. I mean, if anyone's going to heaven, I figured myself at age 14, I was going to heaven. I was an awesome candidate for 
Heavenhood? Yeah, anyway. We had plenty of ceremony in our church. And Jesus is scrapping all of that. Because becoming born again has a purpose. And so Nicodemus, he responds and he says, how can this be? Do you see that in verse 9? How can this be? Because Jesus just said, this is like the wind. The wind blows. I mean, you can kind of feel the wind, but you can't see it. Oh, you might be able to see the leaves rustling and blowing here and there, but you cannot see the wind. And neither can you see when the Spirit moves and changes a person and births them. You can't see it. And so there's this frustration within Nicodemus. He's a teacher, and he's not getting it. I want you to turn in your Bibles now to chapter 1. Because this isn't the first time we've encountered this idea of being born of the Spirit or being born of God. If you go over to chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, John has already laid out for us what this means. So as a reader, it's not the first time I'm seeing it. And so we kind of come into this story saying, come on, Nicodemus, don't you get it? Because we read about it two chapters before, but Nicodemus didn't have that advantage. All right, so here we go. Chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. I'm going to read verse 11. It kind of sets it up a bit. He, referring to Jesus, came to that which was his own. Who, who, was, who were his own? Jesus came to the Jews, the Jewish nation. Those who called themselves the people of God or the children of God. It was the Jews. Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Verse 12, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, so he's equating receiving Jesus to believing in him, God gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, let's follow through this. The, let's understand that in the Jewish mindset, you were born a child of God. And John is saying, no, because Jesus went to those people, and they were the ones that actually rejected him. Yeah, the children of God rejected the child or the son of God. Then he goes on and says, do you want to know what happens to those people who actually do receive him? Because it's not always easy. To as many as received him, to those who believed in him. To those people then, if you believe in Jesus, John is telling us up front. If you believe in Jesus, he gives you a right. Now the Greek word here is exousia. It's generally translated authority. We could translate it right or privilege, but it is an authority for you to do something or have something due to you that apart from you receiving that authority, you can't have it. It's like 
you have to pay money, and then you receive the right to go into the movie theater and watch that movie. Okay? If you believe in Jesus, you then receive this right, this privilege, for what? To become a child of God. You are given this right to become a child of God, and then guess what happens? You become a child of God. So let's follow this. You believe, God then responds to your faith with giving you a right in which you now become a child of God. Now, there are some out there who would seek to switch that order around and say, well, you know, at first you become a child of God, and then you actually believe because you're dead in your sins and therefore you can't believe and you must be awakened or born again or born of God or born of the spirit, several synonyms here, and then you can finally believe. And can I suggest that the order properly stated is you believe, then you are given this right, and what right is that? It's the right to become, not be a child of God, but become a child of God. Now, if you're like me, you're probably scratching your head thinking, wait a second. So, okay, how do I become a child of God? Nicodemus, if he were reading this, he would say, yeah, I mean, how do I become a child? I mean, I'm already a child of God, aren't I? I'm a Jew. No, because it's spiritual. How do you become a child of God? And in verse 13, John answers it. John answers that you become a child of God, not by, and there are three things, and every single one of them have to do with something that is natural, physical. I'm not going to get into each one except simply to say, not natural descent, which would mean a Jew, not of a human decision. Actually, I think it's better translated sexual desire or desire of the body, nor of a husband's choice i want to build my legacy i want to have children it has nothing to do with the physical but it has to do with the spiritual you are born of god born of god now some have looked at this that john perhaps is referring to becoming a child of god meaning adoption adoption happens after faith And so those who believe that regeneration precedes faith, they say John is referring to adoption. Two problems there. Number one, John never in his Gospels or in his letters or in Revelation refers to adoption. See, that's a Pauline concept. It's not that John didn't know about it. John just never writes about it. So can, can I suggest to you he's not writing about it here? Actually, when you look in 1 John, you find this connection of a child of God and being born of God. He constantly links them together throughout his writings. He does that here. And the context compels us to see that being a child of God or becoming a child of God is synonymous with being born of God. I believe. And then God privileges me with being born of God. Why is that a big deal? <laughs> Why must I be born spiritually? Because there is a spiritual problem. And John points this out. 
He says, Nicodemus, listen to this. Do you remember when Moses lifted up the bronze snake in the wilderness? And it was like, yeah, oh, goodness. Oh, I, rem- I probably taught that just last week. See, when the children of Israel, physical children of Israel, were in the desert for 40 years, there was a time in which they complained so much that God released some poisonous vipers, and many of them were bit, and they began dying. There was a poison that got into them that was killing them. I'm simplifying it. But see, now that's Jesus right there. See, sin is a poison that has gotten into you, and it is killing you. Something has to happen to that sin. Why can't you just physically somehow become a child of God? Because the problem is not physical. The problem is spiritual. And this is why he's using this backdrop of Moses. He lifted up the bronze snake and he says this. Moses said, if you look to this bronze snake, you will live. Now, I'll be honest with you. That sounds kind of strange. So I just have to lift, look to this bronze snake. How simple is that? But see, the reason why people would do that is for only one reason. Because the promise was if you did it, you would be healed. And now the analogy is made that the son of man, the one who's going to be given a kingdom, the Messiah, is going to be lifted up. And I'm not saying that Nicodemus really even understood that. But later we find out in chapter 12 that Jesus is lifted up to draw all men unto himself. And he is referring to his death. Jesus has to die Just like the serpent is lifted up, Jesus is now going to be lifted up on a cross so that whoever looks to him and believes in him, that spiritual problem will be gone because you will be born again. So when you are born again, you become his child and God now brings life into you you were spiritually dead and now you are spiritually alive i can remember when kate and all of my kids were born and just to hold that little baby like when when luca was born and just to hold this little creature this human being in the image of god and of course everyone around oh he looks just like mommy he looks just like daddy no he doesn't he looks just like yoda Right? I mean, that's all babies look like Yoda. Now, it takes a few weeks. And once they, after a few weeks, okay, now that looks like mommy. Okay, now that looks like daddy. Luca, Luca is a beautiful baby, by the way. And as you look at him now, his face is filling out. And, and he's like, wow, what an amazingly beautiful baby. But he's alive. He has life in him. Everything is new in his world. See, before he was born... I'm just, I'm not sure if they can see or not. If he did, it would be pretty dark. I can imagine he didn't see, and his world was touch. His world was, I can hear voices. I imagine that when Luca was born, he recognized his mom and daddy's voices, the most common voices that he had heard prior to that time. And... This new life now starts resembling mommy and daddy. 
And I haven't decided if he resembles more Rose or Diego yet, but the truth is he has his parents' DNA. See, you are a, when you're born of God, you receive God's DNA by his spirit. Do you realize what that means? That means that, number one, you have an inheritance privilege. You have this right now as a child of God, not just to become a child, but now you bear the Father's name and you have all of this inheritance. <coughs> On this earth, sometimes we lose focus of that. We lose sight of it because life can become so hard and even to the point where we're wondering, God, you're my father. Where are you in this situation? And here's what I'm going to say to this. I remember when I looked at each of my kids for the first time and there was such an overwhelming love. It was like my heart was exploding. But I'm a daddy. Wow. And, and it was there was so much excitement. I love my child so much. See, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The father, he now gives birth to you. And his love is matchless. His love is infinite. It is immeasurable. I remember the love that I had in my heart and it was like exploding. God's heart, if you will, explodes. I guess it explodes infinitely, but his love is infinite. It's forever. It's never ending. That's the type of love that he has for you. Why? Because he birthed you. And guess what? You're starting to look just like him. I want to be careful with this. Okay. But the truth, it says in First John, same author as this book, chapter 3, when Jesus appears, it says, and we will be like Hebrews talks about him being our older brother, only in the sense that he was actually, in a different way, begotten of the Father than we are begotten of the Father. He has that unique place and privilege, and he actually has come from the Father in a, in a different way that I can't understand. All I know is now God has birthed me, he's inside of me, he loves me, and I'm beginning to look like him because have his DNA. Now, that's, I'm simply saying, because he gave birth to you. When you give birth, you impart something to that child. It's part of you. God has birthed me. His spirit is in me, stirring my heart. Paul says, I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, and the new has come. I think sometimes we lose sight of that and we start looking too much like the old me. I mean, not you looking like me, right? I'm talking about the old you looking, you looking like the old you. Yeah, you follow me. The truth is we have been called to, as his children, be like him, to reflect him. But see, if we can't have that sin dealt with, none of this will ever happen. Actually, Jesus says later, here's how serious this spiritual problem is. You live in darkness, just like the baby in the womb. I'm drawing that analogy. You live in darkness, and you actually don't even want to come into the light. 
you hate the law. Before I was born of the Spirit, I hated the light. God had to do something in me. He opened Lydia's heart and then she believed. God had to do something in me. But I assure you, once I believed, God gave me the right and I was birthed by the Spirit and I loved the light because the Spirit of God is in me. But tonight, if you're still in the darkness, if you're still lost, if you have yet to truly believe in Jesus Christ, you hate the, you hate the light. Because when you come into the light, the truth of God's word, it shines on you. And there's that sin in you wants to run from it. When I sold pest control out in Phoenix, Arizona for one of my close friends, and he did a great job with his business, and it just grew like rainbow. <clears throat> but I, I led some crews, and we sold pest control. And one of the key questions was, hey, do you have, I could tell if they had crickets because of the cricket droppings. I could tell if they had black widows generally because of the webs. But then I would have to ask them, do you have any roach issues? Now, a lot of people, yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit. I said, well, like, how bad is it? Like, when you go into your kitchen at night and turn the light on, do you see any? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like how many do you see? Oh, a dozen or so. Y you know what? We need to help you out here. We need to help get rid of these roaches for you. Now, in Phoenix, Arizona, roaches were a serious problem. Some of them were large enough to saddle and ride. I've seen many of those. But the others were a little bit smaller, but they could infest the house. Thousands, if you weren't careful. But when you turn the light on, they all leave. There is something inside of us that, apart from what God does in us in being born again, we run from the light. We run from his truth because it shines on us and it exposes us and in essence says, we got to give this up. You have to be willing to let go because if you don't, you will remain in the darkness. Sin will continue to be your problem and you cannot have eternal life. But if you believe, if you surrender to him, he changes everything. Can you stand with me? Father, I just pray right now that you would settle our hearts and that, Father, if we have been one of those in the darkness, maybe not even realizing it, but if we've been in the darkness and we've been pushing back, pushing away from the light, God, I pray, speak powerfully by your spirit and call us out of that darkness to yourself that we would believe in you that you would transform us that we would become a child of God that you would make us your own God and that you would make us more and more like you Jesus please give us breakthrough Father and if some of us tonight were struggling maybe we're struggling with that old life asking you, Father, that we look to the Son. Because that's the 